The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What to do? What to do? What to do? It is Tuesday. Captain's log. Tuesday. Day four? Weekday four? When do we start this nonsense? Wednesday of last week is when everything shut down, right? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We're five days in. This is day six of the coronavirus quarantine here on Fantasy NBA Today, and I am already starting to get a little bit of that cabin fever going, guys. I need some help. Losing my mind. There was something, I think, settling for a big NBA fan. I'm an NBA MLB guy. Basketball, baseball. Every part of my calendar year is accounted for. There isn't one moment where one of those sports is not going and the other one is. It's the overlap. I take care of the overlap. I, it was not on purpose. This is a little bit of, a, of an Angelino disease here, folks from Los Angeles. I'm definitely not the only one. You either grow up loving college football if you're big into USC, which I come from a family, actually. My, both my parents went to UCLA, so that ain't happening. And so I grew up on Dodger baseball, and then a little bit later, Dodger baseball started when I was like four, and then when I was about nine, I got into Lakers basketball. And so it just it fell that way for me. And then throughout my entire life, I've always had this really calm solace that basically one of my two favorite sports would be going at all times, and all of a sudden, everything is just gone. Maybe you guys can relate to me a little bit on this other front. I really don't much care for reruns. I think I'm actually in the minority on that one. I know I've I've dated or I've I've known my wife for 16 years now and in the entire time I've known her she's loved reruns. They help settle her brain down before going to bed. I think a lot of you guys are like that. I can't stand reruns. I hate knowing the next thing that's going to happen. Maybe that makes me nuts, but it's part of what I love about live sports is that you never see the same exact thing twice. There's always something new around the corner. There may be some bad games, maybe some bad shows, but something I haven't seen before is at least bad and new instead of bad and I've seen it again. I'm going to pick on my wife here at the beginning of this show. She used to fall asleep exclusively to Friends, which I think I've said on Twitter, I think is one of the worst shows that's ever existed. And I got some hatred on that one, and that's fine. We can argue about that whenever. Well, I mean, we have time now. We could argue about it now, I guess. I can't, I can't handle these things that I've already seen before. It, it, it kills me. I get stir-crazy knowing the next joke that's going to come up. I have to really love the characters on something to watch it a second time. Now, I don't feel that way with movies. I'll watch movies a few times. I don't know why. There's just subtle things and the, the quality of it and, you know, it's not the laugh track and all that garbage. But for whatever reason, 
can't stand reruns. And we are in the ultimate rerun right now. That's all that's on. Nobody's making new shows. We're about to hit the end of, we're about to hit season finale portion of the calendar year. So, we're, I mean, we're legitimately, the live shows, you know, late night, whatever, Colbert or Kimmel or Fallon or whoever you watch, those, are, those aren't taping these days. Bill Maher's not taped. Whatever you're watching, whatever new stuff, it's not taping. These things don't exist. We're in, we're in an infinite loop, guys, and we're only six days into this thing. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in, regardless of the scenario, because Lord knows things have been better and worse. It ain't great. It ain't great right now, guys. It's, uh, it's not great. Um, but we're getting along, and we actually have something to talk about today, which is kind of nice, outside of the fact that we're all kind of screwed. Number one, had a lot of fun talking to Josh Lloyd on his episode of the Fantasy Basketball podcast yesterday, which he called Hemispheres, which <laughs> we were enjoying that one. There was a discussion that happened on Twitter, and I don't remember how, how long ago it was, but like, what would you call it if Josh and I did a show together? And I don't remember who suggested it. It might have even been me. Someone can maybe figure this out. Hemispheres, a fantasy basketball podcast with Josh Lloyd and Dan Baspers. So that was fun. And in talking to Josh on his show yesterday, we got into this idea of, well, you know, when when the, the, the suspension, when the NBA hiatus first kicked in all of five and a half, six days ago, my first thought was, okay, well, you know, how do we, what if the season does resume? But now there's all these, what if it resumes, but you only get a few games? What if it doesn't resume at all? What if it goes straight into the playoffs? In a head-to-head league, Josh suggested you pay out any teams that are mathematically still in it. By the way, this certainly favors those, those leagues where you're farther along in the playoffs. You're down to four or two teams. Splitting the pot is quite easy. If there are six teams making the playoffs and a seventh team is mathematically in it, splitting the pot seven ways is not much of a profit you know you wipe five teams out you're not even you're not even doubling your money at that point you know you split what if you got it uh, let's do a 10 team league just for the sake of it six teams out of 10 just six teams out of 12 obviously you get a little bit more of a bump there because presumably everybody would basically double their money six teams out of 10 you're only wiping out four, and if one of those teams is still mathematically in it, you only wipe out three. So you get into a weird little thing where I think if you're in a 12-team league or bigger, it's it's perfect to split the proceeds among any teams that are in the playoffs or not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Anybody that's still actually in contention could split. If you're in a 10-team league, I think you actually get into a little bit of a weird spot there, and you probably need to get your league together to discuss... You know, does that 7th or 8th team actually have a chance to do it? I don't know how you take any teams out of the mix that are actually in the playoffs. But it's also why I still like waiting. Because what if you get... What if we do get two weeks of regular season games when things start back up? I know we all... You know, some of us drafted based on playoff schedule. I had been preparing 
for the playoff schedule by picking up guys that had powerhouse four-game weeks. You remember just, you know, a few days, a few short days ago, we were talking about streaming and getting yourself positioned. My, my I had a first-round buy. You know, what about that? What about teams that had a first-round buy that couldn't actually be eliminated in the first round of the playoffs? What does that do to the mix? Do you have to change your league settings so only the top four get in? I don't think you can do stuff like that. It's just not fair. Here's what you can do, I believe. First of all, you got to wait. I think you have to wait. I know Josh actually makes a really good point that with the way things are going right now with this, with this health crisis, teams could actually use their $100 back and if they're getting an extra 50 or $60 of winnings, that, that would probably be useful as well. I think, you, I think if you're the treasurer of your league, commissioner, treasurer, whatever, I think you got to sit on it. I know that we're in a spot right now. And maybe there are teams that want to take a share and, and cash out or something like that. Maybe that's another avenue to it. Hey, you want your... You know, if you're in a if you're in a 12 team league and and six teams are still in it, do you want your $200 and cash out? Okay, fine. Maybe somebody can cash out. You just take them out of the mix. You rearrange your playoff schedule if you have the ability to do that as a commissioner of your league. Cash them out. That obviously favors a team that then plays that club in the playoffs, so it creates a whole new can of worms. I'm inclined to say we wait and see. Because if you get one to two weeks of games, that might not be enough for an entire playoffs. But I'll tell you what, people are crazy competitive head-to-head. And I would bet, because I am a degenerate and I am a little bit of a betting man, I would bet that if you polled the six playoff teams in your league and said, if we only have two weeks of games leading up to an NBA playoffs. Let's say that that's all that's going to happen. So we don't have time for the full three weeks of our fantasy postseason. Would you vote to A, play those two weeks out and split the pot among the teams that remain because you'll be in the finals at that point. Top two teams, the only two teams that remain get to split the pot. 600 apiece if you're in a 12-team league or something like that. Or would you be would rather just split the pot six ways right now. I would bet that the vast majority of league competitors would say, nah, let's play the two weeks. I'll tell you why. First, the top two teams are definitely going to vote for it because they have a bye week. First and second seed, hell yeah, they're going to vote for that. They can totally change their strategy, and that's fine. You know, this is the advantage they got by amassing a really strong regular season record. I vote, if I have the number one seed, I'm going to vote to play those two weeks out because I have a bye, so I only really, I only have to play one of those two weeks. The semifinals, I get a bye, and then if I win one week of the playoffs, I get a half share of the $1,200 pot. If any of those remaining four teams think they have a chance to get past the semifinals, they'll probably say, let's play on. You know who would vote against it? Five or the six seed thinking, ah, we just snuck into the playoffs. I don't think I'm going to win two rounds. But if you're making the playoffs not thinking you're going to win two rounds, well, what business do you have getting money anyway? But the playoffs are crazy, so you might even find some five or six seeds where they're like, yeah, screw it. Roll the dice. In the words of uh, Lois Griffin, spin the wheel, raggedy man. Spin the wheel. 
I'm the I'm the six seed man. All I got to do is get in. I got to win two rounds. Hell yeah, I'll stream the crap out of these two rounds and I'll get my share of the pot. So I'm thinking you get four to six in almost every league votes to play on if you get two out of your three rounds of the fantasy playoffs. Leagues that have already started your playoffs, oh, there's absolutely no reason not to wait and see what happens. The only reason is if all the people remaining in your league are like, yeah, let's just call it. If you've already played around and there's only four teams left, you might see four teams say, yeah, it's fine. Let's just take $300 a piece and get out of here. By the way, this is a 12-team $100 league. I'm just doing this for ease of math. You might see a situation like that. If your league comes together and, and all four people say, yeah, we're cashing out now, I think it has to be unanimous in those spots, by the way. And I think you will get a lot of situations where you'll get a unanimous consent, where the team's like, okay, all four teams say, listen, this is crazy. Why? Let's not wait two and a half months. Let's just take our $300 now. We all get a profit. Everybody's feeling good. And if your league is in your finals when all of this ended, oh, yeah, it's pretty easy to get two teams to agree to just say, yeah, let's let's take our 600 bucks and be on our way. Now, the only caveat to that is this week that was suspended, someone was winning that week. We were, luckily, we weren't very far along. We were Monday, Tuesday, and a couple games a Wednesday before the uh, before the leagues canceled themselves. So you might see someone that's like, ah, I was winning. I want to play it out. Well, I mean, make the argument that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they might have been winning after two-sevenths of the week, but there was a long way to go. I think you, the only time you really run into issues are for the leagues that hadn't yet started their playoffs. And for those, I strongly believe we wait and find out what the plan's going to be whenever they formulate one. It's really hard to know because in, in two weeks, things are probably going to be worse than they are now because the U.S. just finally put these stringent measures in place late last week and even a lot of them early this week so the spread has already happened from everything that happened before that. So you're going to see a lot more cases. The people that are already hospitalized that we don't know about, we're going to get reports on those positive results and deaths, unfortunately, as a result of those positive tests, or of the disease, rather, not of the test. And you're going to see the spread from those people that infected others before all of these measures were put into place. So for the next five to ten days from now, you're still going to see the spread of this disease that was happening even before these measures were put in place. Then the hope is that all of these people that have begun to social distance and not go out and, and self-quarantine, you start to see the positive results of that. So let's say April 1st is a pretty good check-in day to see if things are starting to level off a little bit. The hope is that at that point, you start to see a more consistent number of cases of coronavirus per day, as opposed to an increasing, the exponential growth curve we've heard, I'm sure you've heard people talk about. You want to level that off so that instead of the, the curve curling upward and getting steeper and steeper, you actually see the curve turn linear. Because if the line of cases turns linear, then that means the number of cases per day is the same and then you might even start to see that line level off a little bit, which would actually mean there are fewer cases per day. 
So there's going to be a check-in around April 1st. A lot of schools, I believe, are doing this sort of, we're going to be suspended for two weeks, then we'll check in, and then there might be another two weeks. I believe that the CDC recommendation as of yesterday was try to stay out of groups of 10 or more for 15 days, and then we'll check in. That's all basically April 1st. So we might have an idea by then of what this thing is going to look like. If things start to level off by April 1st, 2nd, 3rd, you're not going to see teams start to play again. I'm far from it. I mean, we ain't close at that point. But that would be a positive indicator that the steps that this country's taking and other countries are actually having a positive impact. And then you got to let that next wave play out because a lot of people are already going to have it. It's going to take them weeks to get over it. You have to keep the away from anybody so you continue to stop the infection you'll probably see at least i would think another two weeks of everybody staying isolated by the way yes i'm doing the math that puts us at about four weeks of total isolation and if that's working and you're starting to see the number of cases come down you might see some of those rules begin to relax a little bit but i still don't think you're going to see the big group stuff you're not going to see the concerts you're not going to see the fan-attended sporting events for at least another three to four weeks after that because you've got to let this thing completely peter out before you put one potentially infected person in a room with 10,000 other ones or we start all over again. Nobody wants that. So you have to extend it a little bit farther. Now, where things get a little bit interesting is what about games without fans? So that's why I've been kicking all this stuff around in my head. We might have an idea in two to four weeks when these leagues are going to be aiming to come back. That doesn't mean they're coming back anytime near that. But in two to four weeks, you might be able to say, okay, the things we're doing as a nation are working. So now we suddenly have a goal point. Okay, look, the incubation time of the virus is one to two weeks or four days to ten days. The virus itself can have symptoms for anywhere from four to like six, four days to six weeks. Add that all together, you're looking at about eight weeks until hopefully all of the infections that were happening have happened. The treatments happen. People that either do or don't have symptoms get better and you stem the tide. And at that point, you could potentially play games with no fans. Because let's say one case pops up with these quarantined or semi-quarantined athletes who I don't think are going to be just banging around in the community, might they infect their teammates? Yeah, it's a possibility. And I think at, at some point we're going to have to accept the fact that there will be this virus out there. I don't think it's ever going to totally go away until we get the vaccine for it, which is, as we've heard, probably a year out. So you're just going to mitigate risk. Very long-winded explanation for me to say, we got to wait. We got to wait. We got to wait to see what sort of thoughts we have on these things. And of course, this bears out in the roto side as well, but you're sitting on that. We're not going to cross that roto bridge until we absolutely have to, because then roto, there's going to be a lot of league discussions going on, because if you don't have a number, the right number of games left for teams to even out in their games cap, there's going to have to be some averaging that goes on to accommodate the teams that have overused their games cap or are competitive, but a little bit perhaps under the games cap. This is all stuff that we can assess down the line. Meantime, big thank you to our buddy Adam King, who's been on this podcast before, for firing up 
an industry mock draft that started on Monday morning. And it's got the fantasy community locked in because, damn it, we are bored. We ain't got nothing to do. And so this is the pretend 2019-2000 or 2020-2021, excuse me, mock draft based on what we know as of this moment. And here are your top 10. We'll do this in groups of 10, and we'll probably do about 10 a day because S-H-I-T, we ain't got nothing else to do. Adam Stock, our buddy also that was on this podcast before. James Harden got the uh, with the first pick. No, uh, no questions there. This is, by the way, this is an eight-cat roto draft. Eight-cat roto, I believe. I don't think we're doing head-to-head. I don't think it matters because you don't know the schedule. But, I mean, obviously you, you take injury stuff into consideration. James Harden as the number one pick in 8-cat is about the simplest thing you could ever have in fantasy sports. He is once again running away with the 8-cat trophy, and there's nobody close. Anthony Davis was the number two pick in 8-cat. And for good reason, because he is currently the number two player in ACAT, and there's no one close to him on either side. It's pretty interesting, actually. James Harden, there's a monster gap between he and Anthony Davis, and there's actually an even bigger gap between AD and Carl Anthony Towns, who's the number three guy in ACAT. And guess what? That was me. Oh, by the way, Matt Smith, our buddy Matt Smith, had AD at, uh, at two. I got Cat at number three, because to me, there's no reason to think he's going to have these same issues two seasons in a row. This was the Tom Thibodeau Miles on the Carl Anthony Ta- Anthony Towns wagon all getting cashed in in one season. His knee, his wrist, it's just all the stuff. And to me there's just there isn't anybody that can catch him for that number 3 spot. It doesn't feel like there's anybody that can do the things that he does. He's shooting 51% from the field. He was 80% at the free throw line this year and he could actually be better than that if you gave him a full season of actually healthy basketball. A steal over a block, 26.5 points, 11 rebounds, over three three-pointers a game this year from Cat, and 4.4 assists. Carl Anthony Towns, and th- I mean, this is mind-boggling stuff, he actually was on pace to hit the 10th most three-pointers of anybody in the NBA this year. There was only one center-eligible player who was hitting more per game, and that's Davis Bertans. The other guys with Cat in that Upper echelon of three-pointers made. Harden, Lillard, Buddy Heald, Duncan Robinson, Davis Bertans, D'Lo, Devontae Graham, Trey Young, and Kemba Walker. Those are the guys in front of Carl Anthony Towns on three-pointers made per game. Cat is in front of Paul George, Zach Levine, Gallinari, Boyan Bogdanovich, Bradley Beal, Kyle Lowry, Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, this is crazy that he's up there with those guys. The next center-eligible player is Kevin Love at 26 and then you get to JJJ, Kristaps Porzingis. All of these guys are in the mid-twos. I mean, Cat was like, the fact that he was able to add that many three-pointers to his game while keeping his field goal percent among the league leaders, not league leaders, but certainly strong positive value, is remarkable. To me, he was a, he was a clear choice at number three, and I'm not worried about his health. Our buddy Alex Rickling took Giannis Antetokounmpo at four, which I thought was interesting because he is obviously a big-time eight-cat guy. He gets a huge boost as one of the biggest turnover guys in the NBA. He had 3.7. I believe that's in the top five or six of uh, three of turnover guys. Trey Young, James Harden, 
Russell Westbrook, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Devin Booker, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and then oddly, Andre Drummond. <laughs> I know, it's a little bit weird. Um, this is a play on Giannis fixing his free throw stroke. Really, at all. If Giannis, Giannis, by the way, is, is attempting the second most free throws in the league at 10 a game behind just James Harden and shooting 63.5%. He is so bad in that category that there's no one even within striking distance of him. Andre Drummond, Rudy Gobert are the only two guys. Zion Williamson actually coming out of the gates here late as guys that were having this kind of a negative impact on your free throw percent. But of course, that also means that because he's attempting 10 of them a game, it's something that can be fixed fantasy-wise quickly. Where if that's 63.5%, even went up to like 69%, he leapfrogs a bunch of guys. He's number 13 in 8-cat, despite having the worst free-throw shooting percentage impact in the NBA. If you're punting free-throws in 8-cat, he's ahead of James Harden. Now, he moves ahead of a lot of guys because there, there simply aren't that many dudes that are in that top echelon that get a giant bump from punting free throws. It's Giannis and basically Andre Drummond, and then Ben Simmons come, comes roaring out of the back nine on this one. And if you're punting free throws, it's a very reasonable strategy, but you guys know my feeling on punting in the draft. I think this is probably a play. Knowing Alex... Uh, this is a play on him getting that number to come back up towards what it had been in the past. I'm not willing to risk it. You guys know I don't like risking things early. The free throw number could absolutely stay right where it was. This just could be a thing for him. But it could also be an Hassan Whiteside kind of situation where maybe he gets it squared away and he's a top two or three guy. By the way, he managed to hit 1.53 pointers a game. The steals and the blocks were down, as you'd expect they would be. He doesn't have to work as hard right now. Friend of the program, Josh Millman, got Steph Curry at five. I certainly don't blame him on that one. Steph, when healthy, is a transcendent NBA talent. He would have been the fifth-ranked guy the previous year in 8-cat. His turnovers are not that terrible, so there isn't that big of a swing for him either way, but he is absolutely positively in the uppermost echelon of NBA players, and if you're getting him at five, you're getting him at a pretty damn good value. Host of the industry draft, Adam King, got Trey Young at pick six, which at the time, I think Adam even put in this in the draft room something like, I'm taking a flyer on Trey Young at six. Not really, right? If you're punting turnovers in a nine-cat, and here in eight-cat, you're obviously punting turnovers because they're not a category. He's number seven on a per-game basis. By totals... In 8-cat this last year, he's number 5. Thanks to his durability. If you think he's going to get any better at all, there's no reason not to take him inside the top 10. I mean, you guys you, you guys know I'm not a massive Trey Young fan, but to me, this isn't that crazy at all in 8-cat. His value in 8-category leagues is, is gigantor. Al Hunter, LeBron James at number 7. This is a little bit riskier, I think. And my thoughts on why is simply that you you obviously can't fade LeBron James. Anyone who's ever faded LeBron James has paid the ultimate price on that. And this year he's averaging 26, 
eight and almost 11 league best assist number on the year. His four turnovers get wiped out in eight cat. His free throw percent is, is basically around what we want Giannis's to be at about 70%. So not that giant of a negative impact. And in eight cat, by totals, he's actually been number six on the year. And by averages, he's number eight. So also not that far off. The only issue there is, is there any drop-off, even the tiniest bit? At what point in LeBron's career is time going to start to impact him? Because it gets everybody, and then there are freaks of nature like LeBron James where it just gets them later. You probably, as we said, you probably just don't fade him until somebody gives you a reason to, and even if there's a mild drop-off, it's probably not that big. But that would be a reason I'd be a little bit cautious with LeBron. Jonas Nader got Damian Lillard at pick number eight. I love that one. He is always safe, always durable. Missed, what, two and a half weeks with a groin thing. 29 and eight this year. He's been great. 45.7% shooting, 89% high volume free throw stuff. He's just doing the same old good stuff he always does. Uh, number five on a per game value in eight cat number four in the totals value in 8-cat. Just doing his thing, plodding along. I love it. Joel Bartolotta took Kevin Durant at pick number 9. I've got a little bit of beef with this one. And it's not because I don't think Kevin Durant is incredible, because when he's right, he's an easy top 5 fantasy guy. He's not a super high turnover dude, so you're not really relying on those being the giant difference maker. He might be in the mid to high twos. So, yeah, a little bit of a bump because his turnovers are above league average, but at least among the first round high usage guys, he might even actually be in the lower quadrant of those dudes. My issue with Kevin Durant is just that you know he's going to have scheduled rest days. You know he's not going to have all of his explosiveness coming back because players just don't when they come back from Achilles stuff. He's still going to be great, but is he going to be 100% Kevin Durant great? There's a value element to it here. Make no mistake, this is a huge discount to get Kevin Durant towards the back end of the first round, and he may actually fall later, depending on whatever news we get throughout the offseason. But, I mean, we're talking about a guy that is a potential number one fantasy play when fully healthy. At the same time... If he misses 20 games and it takes him a month or two to get into into basketball shape, you could be looking at your first-round pick that ends up with third-round value. It's a value play. It's a risk-reward opportunity. That type of stuff makes me super nervous in the first round. Especially looking at some of the names that were still on the board. You didn't have to take the chance here at number nine because of two or three of the names that are following up here. Guys that still were floating out there that in eight-category leagues, there's there just isn't that much reason to pass them up for a risk. Sure, Kevin Durant could outperform that. If he does play in, I don't know, 65 to 70 games, and maybe he's a top-five guy on a per-game basis, that puts him inside the top 10 for the year. I just I don't know how he plays enough games next season to get inside the top five. The reason I bring that up is because there are legitimately guys left here on the board that are actually inside the top five right now. 
And that one of those names is Nikola Jokic. Who didn't come off the board next, but he did towards the end of the first round. Look at Doncic to our buddy Kyle McEwen was the next guy off the board. Doncic, who's missed some time here later in the season. He's number 17 by totals on the year. Doncic and 8-cat number 12 by averages. So let's say he manages to stay healthy next season. Uh, at, at number 12 on a per-game basis, that puts him as a first-round guy in 8-cat. And you, maybe you hope that the, the free-throw percent comes up a little bit more. But Jokic is my guy looking at this exact area of the draft. Nikola Jokic is the guy I'm taking next because for some reason, that Tubbo is incredibly durable. He played in 65 games this year prior to the shutdown. He's number three on a totals basis. I think Denver has a little bit of a thinning of the herd at some point, and we've seen him play himself into shape season after season after season. That's the direction I'm going there. And the last pick of the first round is Bradley Beal, who... Is number 11 by totals in 8-cat this year. Number 10 by averages. He's ended up playing in most of his games. There is a little bit of a John Wall fear factor with me and between me and Badly Beal. So I don't think I'm taking him in the first round next year. Which is notable because this last year I was on the hold tight, he's going to be fine bandwagon. And it's okay to have different takes on the same player based on different circumstances. The circumstances are changing. John Wall is going to be back in some capacity, and regardless of how little or much he does, it's going to take away from Beal. There's just no way around it. There's, there's no chance that the usage can be the same for Beal this year as or next year as it has been with Wall out. He's taking 23 shots a game. That's the most in the NBA. I don't see that holding. So he could still hang around there. I mean, again, he's number 10 in 8-cat, and he was drafted at 12 here, which is below that marker. But I got to think that the hit there is significant enough that it knocks him back towards the second round. So I now looking at the names that come after him, who's still on the board? Maybe Kawhi Leonard possibility there? I mean, he was really freaking good this year. In the games he was on the floor, you know you've got those missed ones, but damn, he was putting up numbers. Uh, Porzingis has been awesome in the second half of this year. Jimmy Butler has been very good. Less so in 8-cat because he's only committing 2.2 turnovers a game, so there's a little bit of a knock there. John Collins has actually been outstanding. Number 11 in 8-cat, despite the fact that he doesn't turn the ball over very often. Devin Booker gets a huge jump in 8-cat. So there's still some names on there that I might consider when you run them head-to-head with Bradley Beal and John Wall's back in the mix. That's fun. It's nice to talk about fantasy sports a little bit, huh? We'll keep you updated on everything going on with the quarantine, the uh, whatever you want to call it, the coronantine, the layoff, the hiatus, the suspension, the shutdown. We're all stuck in it together. Uh, still looking, by the way, for salespeople over here at Hoop Ball. That's still a very important factor. So if you are feeling insanely bored and you want to hop on the phone for a few hours a day and crank out calls, hit me up at Dan Bespers on Twitter or Team Hoopball at hoop-ball.com is the email address. Team Hoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's the email address or bug me at Dan Bespers. Really looking forward to some sports getting back in the mix. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but for the time being, we've got a mock draft to break down. We'll have a little fun with that. 
Thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. Back tomorrow, we again are around here Monday through Friday on Fantasy NBA Today, keeping you semi-occupied during the doldrums here. The doldrums they are upon us. I am Dan Vespers. This is a hoopball presentation. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a hoop ball presentation.